Welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I am Damien Pisanti. And I'm Jake Thomas. So we are going to bring you a couple topics today. And um, first off, I owe you guys a huge apology. Um, if you tuned into the podcast and you heard the wrong file, a repeat, man, that was my fault. I uploaded the wrong one. I got it fixed. And hopefully you tuned in once more to uh, listen to our conversation with Andy Matarisi about fires, fire ecology, and just the state of the burning gorge. So, yeah, sorry about that. I owe you one. Um, send me hate mail if you'd like. But a big thank you to those who did send me emails to let me know that um, that repeat was happening. Because, man, I jumped on it as soon as I saw those and fixed it. Things were kind of crazy last week. It was very busy. Anyway, Jake and I are going to uh, have some conversations today, just really between us, about uh, state politics, right? And then... Yep. Uh, well, state and county. State and county. They, they intersect quite a bit. Right. And then um, we're going to I'm going to bring you a recap of what happened with the Don Orange voter challenge. Uh, for those of you guys that aren't aware, Don Orange is a candidate running for the hotly contested Port of Vancouver uh, commission race. And a uh, local person has challenged his voter registration because Don moved into a different district so he could run for this very election. I don't want to go into detail too far now, but just stay tuned and we will uh, have a conversation about those. So. Let's get to it. Let's uh, start things off by talking a little bit about uh, Liz Pike. She's a state representative, right? Yes, she's a state representative, a Republican from Camas. And she's making moves. She's making moves. Well, she's trying to make moves. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, she's moving somewhere because she announced that she is going to run for, or she is running for Clark County Council Chair. Man, the, the county level drama around here is just never ending. So I think before we jump into it too far, for those who may not know who Liz Pike is, let's give an introduction to who she is, sort of what she stands for politically, and uh, you know where her district is, and all those things. Sure. So Liz Pike, she's a uh, Republican representative from Camas, as I, I mentioned. She was on the Camas City Council, and before that, that I understand that she owned a uh, advertising business. Mm-hmm. Um, she lives on a farm in Fern Prairie, and um, she uh, she. How long has she been in politics? Uh, in politics, uh, well, she uh, well at least with the legislature, she was first elected in uh, 2012. Oh, okay. Um, as a Republican, she's gotten uh, a, a pretty comfortable margin of over 50 percent of the vote in each election. Mm. Um, her most recent one, she got 56 percent of the vote against uh, Kathy Gillespie, who ran as a Democrat against her, and wow. that's no relation to the Gillespies that no work Colombian at the Gillespies. Yeah, people need more names for yeah. need different last names <laughs> yeah. around here. So if only our ancestors were more creative yeah yeah so anyway and politically speaking she's a uh she's like the conservatives conservative right yeah she i I think it'd be fair to say that she's pretty darn conservative she's probably in the 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 good hard right of her party Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm because she like she if i remember correctly like she was a big trump supporter um early on in the races and then she also like she runs very heavily on operating small government at the state level and really says she wants to watch out for the taxpayers money and keep government or state government spending low. And she hasn't wavered from that that I've yeah. seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a lot of her priorities have been uh, making sure government's efficient and low have low taxes and less regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of uh, her legislative agenda has uh, reflected that. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a big thing that uh, she's been focused on is is the, the idea of having a third bridge, a third crossing against the oh, uh, yeah. uh, over the Columbia River. Yeah, she's had several um, t- several like um, 
town meetings or town halls yeah. about that, right? She, she routinely uh, sponsors town halls where she brings in experts to talk about the need for a, uh, a third crossing across the Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last legislative session, uh, the, the legislature signed a bill that was signed by the governor that mm-hmm. created a bi-state uh, committee that, that's that's focused on really the I-5 mm-hmm. uh, bridge and re- replacing and repairing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liz Pike had a competing bill that would create a, a, a similar work group that would be tasked with um, identifying the most affordable, efficient project that improves freight, mobility, safety, uh, relieves traffic congestion, and meets future needs of transportation mm. uh, corridor. Mm. So her, she had a much more broad bill that, that could be very well be aimed at a uh, third bridge. Mm. So speaking of legislation, uh, she's been in there for about, what, five years now, it sounds like. Since yeah, 2012. since 2012. How, how successful was she in the last legislative session with getting her agenda moved forward and well, the the last um, legislative session, I, I reviewed the the bills that she was the primary sponsor on. She was the primary sponsor for about fifteen bills, um, mm. if I can count correctly. Um, uh, so a lot of them, you know, are are, are stuff that you, you'd expect. It's a lot of uh, trying to trim regulations and um, reform government. Um, so there was um, n- not a lot of them got passed. One that really none of them got passed. The only one that, that came closest was this uh, this bill that would. Um, amend the, the Growth Management Act to allow um, rail-dependent uh, uses in the Chalachi uh, Prairie. Oh, uh, that's yeah. been a big, big priority for the county. Mm-hmm. Uh, the county says that's that would be a way to really bring in some good-paying jobs to Clark County so mm-hmm. people wouldn't have to commute the r- so much. The rural area of Clark County. Yeah, the county, rural area right. of Clark County. So the, that's been a big priority. The, the bill passed both houses, um, got to the governor's desk and was vetoed by the governor. Mm-hmm. But a, a similar version, a companion bill in the Senate, ended up getting um, uh, signed by the governor. But it was, a, it was a lot more narrow, and it's just really limited to uh, Clark and, I believe, Okanagan counties. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. to allow this sort of development. So like, that was kind of a victory for her. It was. She counts it as a victory. And her um, uh, speech for where she announced that she's running for council chair, she mentioned it, um, mm. and she took credit for it. And she did do work on the bill, but ultimately the bill was vetoed by the governor. Gotcha. Liz Pike had one accomplishment in the last uh, legislative session that was kind of indirect, but she takes credit for it. She does have a point. Um, where there was a bill that she sponsored, didn't get out of committee, but it did. Uh, it was it was directed at this pr- this problem of the de- the Department of Corrections placing a liability on local governments and nonprofits who use inmate workers um, to for for training and oversight and workers comp. Oh. And so a lot of cities uh, just shied away from uh, employing uh, uh, inmates. So does that employing them in the sense that like they're still incarcerated and like but they could come like mow the lawns or right stuff like that work okay. crews. But uh, the problem from my reading the bill was that cities and nonprofits were were reluctant to do employ inmate workers because of a. Uh, a liability, um, mm. liabilities placed on them by the Department of Corrections. Um, so the bill didn't go anywhere. But I, um, Liz Pike told me that she, uh, the, the Department of Corrections came back to her and said, "Hey, you have a point with this. We're going to uh, resolve this administratively." And I did call up the Department of Corrections, and they confirmed that that is happening. That they are moving forward with that. So that huh. is, she did raise that issue, and it is getting resolved. Mm-hmm. So you know what I think is really interesting is that you know. Y- Typically in like a politician's career, I think that they they throw they begin like she did at a local level first, city council or school board or something to that effect, and then 
they might jump up to the state level and then they either stay at the state level or they think about moving or trying their hand at a federal office. Um, I think that is usually a pretty typical route that politicians take. What was really striking to me is the fact that Liz has got this really comfortable seat in state government. She's a, she's you know has very clear messaging of who she is and what she wants to do at that level. But then she announced that she wants to step into the county again. I mean, mm-hmm. that... You know, that why maybe you can tell me this, but why does she seem to think it's a good idea to go step down to county politics? Well, I mean, you could view it as a step up in a lot of ways. Um, mm. it's, it is a countywide uh, election. So you do have more heft um, politically because you you're, you represent the entire county. Um, it's one of the just a, a handful of uh, countywide elected positions. Um, it also, I understand, it comes with a bigger salary. So oh, it does. Might be, it wow. does, and it's a full time position. Uh, so it really, in a lot of ways, is a step up. Uh, what's interesting about this uh, race is that, or, the, or the, the council chair position, is that it's a pretty, really new position. It was created by the uh, the Home Rule Charter passed by voters in 2014. Mark mm-hmm. Bolt is currently the first. Uh, council chair. He's running for re-election as well. And the charter in a lot of ways is not really clear about what the chair does. So they're Mm -hmm. kind of figuring that out. So Mm -hmm. if she got this uh, chair position, she could really and define what this this position means and its role in county government. Or even at the very least, what it doesn't mean. Right. This is only the this form of government is at the county level this is what the sixth county in the whole state to have something like this yeah they're just a handful of counties that have uh home rule charters yeah Um, and so like this this like uh this county manager or like the government manager position this is something that you see much more often at the city level so right i mean the 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 home rule charter created a, a manager position um where it took a lot of the executive authority away from what was then the commissioners and created a council which has a solely uh, legislative function. Right, like a board of directors. Yeah, like a board of directors. That's what it's been likened to, is that it's um, it's like a, a company that has a board and they give direction to the CEO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with somebody like Liz, who's outspoken and... Um, Aggressive in the sense that she she likes to see things get done. Like she's very much an action taker. It would it would be very interesting to see how somebody like her would operate in a position like that. So, right. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, no, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that shakes out. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about the way that she announced this announced her uh, candidacy for this because it it wasn't. Fully, um, I want to say it wasn't orthodox. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. But maybe it was just a little bit unusual. Right. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how unusual it is, but she did keep it under wraps. It was widely rumored that she was going to run for council chair. So when the announcement did come out, uh, it was no surprise, at least not to me, and I know a lot of other people. Um, mm-hmm. But when she was running, she, so she kept it under wraps, and she was uh, she announced it at, at her hoot nanny at, at her farm in Fern Prairie. So the, um, the hoot nanny is like a big fundraiser thing that yeah, she does. Yeah, big fundraiser. Right? And the way she uh, she phrased it on the on her campaign flyers and on online was that this was for her next election. It didn't specify election for what office. It didn't say state rep. It didn't say for council chair. It didn't say for governor. It didn't say for anything. So mm. it just said uh, bring bring your checkbook and write a check to friends of Liz Pike. So this really not clear what where the money was being directed. Interesting. Um, and, and what happened at the end of it, and it was a really successful uh, f- uh, fundraiser and hootenanny for her. She um, raised a lot of money. I checked the PDC filings uh-huh. uh, shortly after. 
Uh, she announced, and it looks like she raised 18635 in contributions for her campaign at the wow. event. Wow, that's a lot for one event. I mean, that's a lot. And she's already has a huge head race on this this um, a head start on this race. Uh-huh. Uh, during the last time, the last election, when Mark Bolt ran for... Um, for the for the current who's the current chair when he ran in 2015 mm-hmm. his campaign spent $46,916. Wow, that's quite a bit. And the Democrat in the race Mike D'Alessandro spent $17,749. Mm. So so we should probably uh, real quick one sec um so p- these people showed up and they wrote the checks for this this big chunk of they wrote cash. The checks. I'm not sure what but the checks they, said but. but they weren't entirely clear it, what she was running for right right i'm not sure how it was communicated to people at the hoot nanny it was mm-hmm. the, it was billed as friend for a fundraiser for friends of liz pike for liz pike's next big uh, race mm-hmm. um so there's uh, there, there there's at least a, and we don't like to at the columbia we don't like to air uh public disclosure co- uh, commission complaints mm-hmm. a lot of them are really politically charged and, and for people who have an axe to grind and the public disclosure commission that is the state agency that uh keeps track of campaign financing spending right and, and, uh, contributions. And yeah, things, right? yeah, just uh, is a watchdog, and it dis- it discloses uh, uh, who's spending what and who's giving money. And so, sorry, I cut you off. Somebody, uh, somebody filed a complaint. Right, somebody filed a complaint about this. It's somebody who files a lot of complaints. I should note it's somebody who files a lot of complaints against local politicians, and a lot of these complaints get dismissed. And Liz Pike has not been found to have done anything or not done anything. But it, but this this uh, PDC complaint is targeted at that, where it says it, it it faulted her for not identifying the party or the position on her campaign flyers for this event. Huh. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But right. yeah, there's... It seems like it's hard to be a politician and not have a PDC complaint show up at some point during right. I mean, I check them every day, and there's I see new ones every single day, and there's several pending, and a lot of a lot of them, most of them get dismissed. Yeah, interesting. So we'll see. How, we'll stay tuned on that one. Okay. So bravo. Yeah. All right. Um. So. <laughs> You know, one other thing that you mentioned to me that I thought was kind of interesting, speaking of her PDCs and her expenditures and things, but didn't she, she bought a gun holster or something right. like that? Right. I'm, yeah, I was going through just to spending, I spend quality time, a lot of quality time with PDC campaign filings. Uh, Isn't and it exciting being it's a It's really exciting. And I do it with every, I, I look at everybody's PDC filings, not just Liz Pike's. Uh-huh. Um, but I was looking through hers and just I just kind of browse these and see who's spending what on what. And there's a, a couple um, expenditures that jumped out at me where it says she spent $130, $130 on the annual membership fee for uh, Clark Rifles, which is a shooting range. Um, and she also spent another $122.98 on a concealed carry holster from Well-Armed Women, which looks like a uh, Arizona-based uh, maker of feminine gun accessories. Huh. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how what, what all the rules are. Maybe this is a legitimate um, campaign expenditure. And I did reach out to Liz Pike repeatedly to try to get her on the podcast and at least do an interview about this. And mm-hmm. the offer still stands, Liz Pike. If you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We can talk about uh, gun holsters and it's a very unique thing to see show up on a PDC form. Yeah, I, I haven't I I haven't seen that before, so I don't know what the explanation is with that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I do would like to get one. Um, yeah, yeah, I would love to know how you can work that into a campaign. Yeah. 
But I got to say, like, if you're running for office, uh, there's a certain demographic that you could really connect with at a shooting range. Yeah, no, it's that's what I'm saying. Like, you maybe it's to connect with demographics, uh, with a mm-hmm. constituency, and, uh, you, you know, she needs a concealed carry, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hilarious. You know, <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned about reading politicians' PDC forms is that um, politics is very good for the pizza industry. There's a lot of campaigns that are buying pizza, buy like hundreds of dollars of pizza at a time. Yeah, a lot volunteers. of it gets spent on food. Yeah. Um, I mean, the expenditures so far uh, with, with Liz Pike's run for council chair is was has been mostly on food so far. Like she... Uh, reimbursed herself for some for food expenses for the hoot nanny and uh, also uh, uh, paid her son who I guess is a chef and did some cooking for the event. Mm. So a lot of yeah, a lot of it is for food. You know, you got to keep uh, keep huh. people fed. So she's running against. Um, I mean, this is obviously very early in the election season, but she's uh, running against one other Republican and a Democrat in the race, right? Yes, this is really, really early. This this race is not until November of next year, so we mm-hmm. are getting a big head start on this and mm-hmm. we've been talking about this for a long time. Um, but she is running against Mark Bolt. Uh, Mark Bolt is a uh, former Republican state legislator and a county commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, the he, current county commissioner. The current, well, he is a current council chair. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, he's current council chair. Um, he uh, left the Republican Party after being censured by it. Uh, so he is an, a political independent. Um, and last... Um, Bolt was le- censured by the party? Yeah, he was censured by the Republican Party wow. for not being uh, sufficiently conservative. Oh really? Yeah, and wow. uh, he also, and, and that was, and, and that was a precursor to him uh, losing his commission seat to uh, David Medor. Now, was he censured by the local Republican? Yes, party? it was the local Republican Party. That's oh. what I'm mentioning. Oh, that explains it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so huh. Bolt ran as an independent. Um, mm-hmm. He ran against uh, Mike D'Alessandro as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, there's a bunch of people ran um, for in, in the in the primary, but mm-hmm. uh, he emerged uh, with Mike D'Alessandro mm-hmm. uh, in the general. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a writing campaign to for Liz Pike for the uh, oh that's for right. council chair. And uh, she was backed heavily. Uh, she had a lot of backing, financial backing, um, for that position, mm-hmm. for the write-in position. And she still got 24% of the vote. Mm. Uh, Mark Bolt got 39% of the vote. And Mike D'Alessandro got 36% of the vote. So, wow. So it's it's interesting. So it's interesting because it's you know Bolt is still a conservative. A lot of people consider him conservative. Uh, some people don't, but he is a former Republican. Uh huh. Um, I see online he's called a fringe leftist sometimes. Yeah. I. I mean, everybody has their own definition of what a conservative. Everybody has their own definition anymore of what a conservative and a liberal is. Uh, right. Mark Bolt is definitely a conservative. But he's been he's been a Republican for a long time. He's yeah. He's uh. He's right. He's right leaning, uh-huh. but anyways, I think it's interesting that uh, just the breakdown. So there's 39 percent in the last election voted for Bolt, 24 percent voted for Pike. So that shows a clear majority of people in the county. She's got uh, a loyal following. Yeah, oh, but a clear majority of of people who in the last election voted for a right leaning candidate. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be so if she could. I don't know how that how it'll break down with the uh, the primary and with the general, but mm-hmm. that so so she has a shot. Yeah, yeah. It'll be very interesting. As interesting as that race is, it's still a long ways off. The one that I'm still scratching my head over more is um, the seat that she's leaving. 
I mean, she had a pretty comfortable spot there, and I just wonder who's going to step into that vacuum. Right. So. so that's another race that is a long ways away, but people have already stepped forward, and the race for that position has already begun oh, over a year. Um, so who's so there's been two Republicans that have announced. Um, one is Larry Hoff. He's the retired president of a Fiber Federal Credit Union. Mm. Um, he seems like a really business-minded conservative. Uh, I, I talked to him. I did an interview with him. Uh, he seemed he, this is his first time running for office. Mm. Uh, he didn't seem to know a lot of the particulars of, uh, of of the legislature or public policy or state government. So he said that he's really kind of in a listening phase right now. That he really wants to listen to his constituents and really figure out what are the big issues. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, but he did express a lot of the Republican uh, talking points of you know reduce taxes and. Uh, reduce regulations and kind of have efficient government, but he also stressed that he wants to uh, work. Um, he wants to work with the other uh, the party, and he wants to solve problems. So he seemed very pragmatic. Interesting. In and then against him is uh, John Lee, right? Yeah, John Lay. He, John Lay. Sorry. No, sorry. No, no problem. So um, he's a he's an I think he, he's a name around here. If you pay attention to local political yeah. goings on, he makes himself known at various RTC meetings. And yeah, he shows up. He uh, there was a lawsuit he had against Ctran, right? Yeah, um, I think he was in two. But yeah, yeah. he definitely sued uh, Ctran and uh, lost. Both lost every time, right? And so, um, yeah, he shows up at a lot of uh, um, public he's a, meetings. He's also um, he's he's a big third bridge proponent. I think he's appeared at a few of uh, of Liz Pike's uh, town hall meetings yes. that she's held on those. Yes, he's he's pretty closely aligned with Liz Pike. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, has has appeared at these uh, town hall meetings, uh, uh, advocating for third bridge. Um, mm -hmm. I talked to him about this, and he um, he said that there's all there is some uh, some traction or some uh, uh, some interest across the river for a third bridge. I was talking to him, and he said that there's some mayors in East Multnomah County that want a third bridge, and there was also he mm -hmm. referenced a. Uh, um, uh, a move in the, in the Oregon legislature, uh, a bill that was sponsored last legislative session that would have created a bypass across the um, Columbia. Mm. So he, he said that there is some interest across the river, and he wants to start working on that. A big thing he's really against is tolls, this plan from uh, by Oregon to put tolls on I-5 and I-205. He's been very vocally opposed to it. Yeah, he has shown up the at um, the RTC meetings, which that's a board that a by state committee that you know addresses the long term transportation planning for Southwest Washington and uh, Northwest Oregon. And um, he, at public comment, multiple times has sat down and spoke out against them and told the RTC they needed to do more when Oregon, the Oregon legislature was considering adding these tolls. Right. So, yeah, there's a <laughs> a few of you are even probably listening to this, but there is a delegation of people living down here that really, really don't want to have to pay money to drive into Oregon. Right. A lot of people really don't. And a lot of them are in elected office. Yeah, there are. Um, I want to just like throw in a quick asterisk to that statement and say Oregon doesn't have a plan yet. We have no idea what Oregon is thinking with tolls. So don't jump ahead of yourself. So anyway, uh, moving on from John Lay, let's talk about the one and only Democrat running for this seat. And that is Kathy Gillespie, right? Yes, Kathy Gillespie. She is a again, she's not related to any Gillespie who works the Columbian. Uh, she ran in 2016 as a uh, independent Democrat, identifying as a independent Democrat, mm. um, and she lost to Liz Pike, who took 56% of the vote. Um, 
And she uh, she's running again. Uh, she's a um, uh, has served on the board of directors for Vancouver Public Schools. Uh, she's also has a, a, a career as a newspaper reporter and editor. Um, and she, I, I wasn't able to talk to her for the article I, I, that, that ran about this, but uh, in the press release announcing her candidacy, she talked a lot about uh, taxpayers and uh, efficient government. Mm. So sounds that was like, really interesting. Sounds like a classic political refrain. Yeah. So um, Interesting. Well, this is a year and some change off, so uh, there's going to be a lot happening between then and now, I'm sure, and it won't be the last time we visit this. But I hope we don't have to talk about this race anytime soon. Probably not for a while, but you never know. And I'm hoping next time we talk about it, we'll get some of these candidates on air. So Yeah, that would be great. So, Liz Pike, if you're out there, come on the podcast. We want to hear from you. Same with you, Kathy and John. Please join us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's move on. So now let's talk about the race for port commissioner. Um, so Damien, what did you just get back from? So I just got back from a voter challenge um, where basically John Orange's voter registration and also his candidacy was on the, the proverbial chopping block. Um, a couple people have challenged whether he in fact lives within the district he registered to vote in and thus uh, questioned whether he's a legitimate candidate. All right, so just to back up for a minute, so Don Orange is running for port commissioner, and yep. he's uh, opposed to the oil terminal. Adamantly. That's one of the big issues of the race. And mm -hmm. uh, previously, there was a lawsuit that uh, challenged his uh, him being on the ballot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that is correct. Ca Carolyn Crane filed a—she um, she sued him. She took him to uh, court in Clark County, basically saying everything that I just said, that he wasn't, in fact, living at the address he said he was, and that he should be taken off the ballot. Uh, however, she and her attorney filed that document a day after the deadline that they were supposed to get it filed and it got tossed and so this is her uh, second second bat to try to knock him off off the voter registration so um so what what is this this hearing about what what's being what question is being answered by this hearing so um it was uh, Clark County Auditor Greg Kimsey and um, some recording equipment. One of the uh, special prosecuting attorneys was there just to, like, I think, help along. Um, and then on one side, you had Carolyn Crane and her attorney and Don Orange's attorney. Mr. Orange himself was not there. I'll get to that reason why in a minute. But basically, uh, what Greg Kimsey was trying to do was... Presuming that Don Orange is living at the place that he says he is within the voting district, um, he was listening for proof from uh, Carolyn Crane that, in fact, Don doesn't live where he says he was. So basically, he, they were there to prove that he wasn't. What, what kind of evidence did Carolyn Crane roll out? Oh, man. She has a lot. She has a very lengthy document. Um, so she, she gave... A couple different things. Uh, she, in her testimony, in her uh, like official testimony, says she went to his house, his apartment in the district, uh, 20 times to knock on his door to see if he would ever answer. During today, she said that um, she went many more and uh, that she never ran into him. She said that um, he signed a lease later than he actually, than he claims to have signed it um, months after the fact. She says she had had conversations with people who lived by his original residence outside of the district who said Don was still living there. Um, a few hearsay things like that. She said she looked over his power bills and calculated the amount of power a person would use um, if they were in fact living at a place and she said it was far too low and you know, the list goes on. 
So what maybe this question was or was not addressed, but what does residency mean? Does residency mean you actually live there or can you just have uh, something in your name, have an apartment leased in your name and that that is sufficient? So um, there's actually a state law that says what residency actually is. And um, that was the question that was before us today. And basically, as I understood it, it's a place, I mean, it's a place where you live. You, you know, you live there, you stay there, you sleep there, so on, et cetera. You li- like, just like any of you would live at your house. So it's common, it, it's the common definition of the word. As yeah, as I understood it. it. And I think where this, you know, what this came down to was, was is he in fact just like, did he just kind of like, you know, stick his hand in a, did he just like stick a flag in the district to say he lived there or does he actually live there? Carolyn says he doesn't. Don, of course, said he did. And in fact, uh, he wasn't there today. His attorney was representing him. And his attorney said he told him not to come because Don should not subject himself to a, I'm using his words, not mine, a partisan um, attack from a political opponent. Carolyn is for the terminal. Um, She um, is active in Republican politics. She's a big fan of Chris Green. And so, you know, I, I don't think it was too much of a stretch for him to assume that. So, so that seems unusual that Don Orange wasn't there. Is, is there any sort of subtext, do you think, that's going on? Why he wasn't there? Or is, why would his attorney advise that? That just seems... Well, first off, I mean, this whole thing is unusual. Um, very, very rarely do voter challenges come up. When they do, they're often dismissed right away uh, before they even get to this phase where they're having a hearing. And um, it's not a, it's not a judicial hearing. It's not a trial. It's uh, it's a hearing. So it's literally just like th- you're under oath and it's r- recorded. But like the the basic rules of a courtroom uh, don't apply. And so, you know, Don didn't have to show up. He could have. He, it was totally within his rights to have his attorney be there. And you know, he's he's a candidate running for office. So I assume that his attorney was trying to make it a point to you know not subject himself if i'm to take him at his word he said it was to not subject himself to badgering from a political opponent so so what did don orange's uh, attorney um argue at this hearing so basically i mean he just said that don lived where he said he lived and that his apartment is dirty in fact they even provided photos of his apartment being dirty dirty. apartment was entered into the dirty apartment several dirty apartment photos. how dirty are we talking is it like Uh, pretty pretty dirty man i mean not like I wouldn't say like gross, but like disheveled is the word I would use. A bachelor pad ass. Oh yeah, total bachelor pad. I mean, there was like this, there was like, (laughs) it looked like he had made himself like a kind of a, no offense to Don, but a pretty sad looking dinner of like a microwave burrito. And I couldn't tell if it was like a plate of cut up beets, but like that, like those were sitting on the kitchen table and like he took a photo of it and there's just like, there's refuse all over the place. The bed wasn't made. There were like dirty dishes in the sink. I mean, it was like, you know, it was a guy who maybe comes home to like work and sleep and that's it. I've definitely seen my apartment look like that sometimes. What what, what other evidence did Don Orange's uh, um, attorney offer? His lease, um, he submitted his voter registration, his driver's license, uh, checks that he had paid his power bill with, his power bill itself um, from like march on back i think he provided statements from um 
the de- he provided statements from his wife, like under oath statements from his wife saying that he didn't live there. He uh, provided statements from this person who explained why his lease was signed by the uh, by the property management company, why it was signed in like June rather than signed in March. And it goes on and on and on. They, there were several things that he provided. Um, this was really this was really theatrical uh the other thing that his attorney that orange's attorney really tried to draw emphasis towards was that whole idea of this being a political attack so he asked carolyn crane uh if she was paying for this how much of her own time she was putting into this um who was paying the attorney if um anybody involved with the other campaign was paying for her attorney and you know she and her attorney both objected to that and um, they were very frustrated by that line of questioning, I think. And at one point, he just flat out said, "This is an attack by like an oil, an oil company or an oil terminal." Who said that? That was Crane's attorney said that. No, no, no. Uh, Orange's attorney said that Crane and her attorney were basically being funded by an oil company for this whole thing. Because, so, like you said, the oil terminal is a big fight in this thing. So we didn't get any answers about who is who's paying for this lawyer that to challenge Don Orange's orange's candidacy no she said none of your business i'm not going to answer that none of your business it was crazy they were like they were throwing objections back and forth at each other the whole time and arguing that evidence shouldn't be permitted because it's hearsay but again it wasn't a court case it so none of those objections mattered uh hearsay is legitimately legitimate evidence in a hearing like this so what was Greg Kimsey's role in this? Would, would he be the equivalent of judge? Was he ruling on objections yeah. and what could be offered? So, no, he wasn't ruling on objections, again, because this isn't a courtroom. So the, the basics of the basic courtroom rules aren't there. And, you know, two lo- you get two lawyers in a room, they're going to make a process much more formal than it probably needs to be. And that's a lot of what happened today. But uh, Kimsey's role in this is to determine whether or not Don lives where he says he does and to um, see if Carolyn's evidence is convincing and clear that, you know, he doesn't live in this apartment. He didn't rule on anything today. In fact, he said he needed a few days to or a couple days, whatever that means. And so, I mean, we could know the answer to this by Friday. We could know the answer to this by Monday, you know. So how did Greg Kimsey respond to this? Did he ask any questions that might have uh, tipped his hand? Did he react to anything? Or was he kind of a poker face throughout the whole thing? He was he was pretty straight-faced the whole time. So just a final question, just to take a step back for people who might not be following this race or, or politics locally as, as closely as we do uh-huh. at the Columbian. Um, so what's at stake here? There's only two candidates on the ballot right now. Yep. So what will happen if uh, what, what could be the consequences of this this decision from Greg Kimsey? Well, Don Orange could be uh, taken off the ballot. And also, as I understand today, um, this uh kimsey's decision is also subject to appeal so you know don could be taken off and if that happens then all there is is chris green on the ballot and unless somebody mounts a huge and very short-term writing campaign chris green will probably get it get elected to the poor commission and the election is in november right yes that's so, correct so this is all gonna come down pretty quick yeah yes it will and um I don't know if this is going to happen, but the first go around when 
when Carolyn's first try was thrown out of court, her attorney said that they're prepared to um, take this to, and if Don Orange wins, they're prepared to bring this up again and try to get him taken out of office. So they sound very committed. So stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned, because this um, is not going away. Okay, well, thank you so much, Damien. All right, everybody, that is a wrap. So I wanted to apologize this week. We're not going to have sort of a look ahead of the cool things to do this weekend. Um, we've had several changes at the Columbian lately. As you know, Ashley Swanson left. We just hired a new person on to fill her shoes. That is our weekend's maven. And um, Katie is no longer going to be on the show. She is very busy on the school's beat, just breaking big stories left and right. And so she's a little bit too busy to be doing the podcast. However, uh, Jake is going to step up to uh, fill her shoes. And you're going to hear another voice probably here more often as well. I don't want to give anything away yet, but we'll bring in our next political reporter and have her introduce herself and talk about some of the work she's been doing. Um, anyway, the next show you hear, we will have weekend events coming up for you, and we are going to have good and relevant and interesting conversations, as always, as we do on the show. So if you have any questions or comments, you can please uh, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you guys, and I want to say thank you very much for rolling with us and listening to all the shows. Uh, the, e the show's email address is podcast at columbian.com. You can email me directly, damien.pizanti at columbian.com. You can find me on Twitter. You can find this podcast just about anywhere you find podcasts. So thank you for tuning in. Tell your friends to tune in as well. And I will look forward to talking with you in just a couple weeks. Take care.